0: Welcome to the Drummer's Pathway, the podcast about music, life, and the creative process. Hello, I'm Michael Scott, and welcome to the Drummer's Pathway podcast. As a musician, I have always loved the process of recording in a studio environment, but have often found myself intimidated with the technical aspects of the recording process. I would observe recording engineers work wonders with the gear they had access to and was always curious as to just what it took to establish those skills. With the industry shifting from the traditional studio environments to more home-based setups, It's more important than ever for us to not only work on developing a high level of musicianship, but also obtain the fundamental skills to record and share our ideas with others. My guest today is Mike Indovina, who began his career as a drummer and went on to become an established recording, mixing, and mastering engineer who has worked with hundreds of artists in multiple genres ranging from punk, rock, pop, hip-hop, and more. He is also the author of the number one Amazon best-selling book, The Mixing Mindset, the step-by-step formula for creating professional rock mixes from your home studio. In addition, Mike is a successful coach who established his MasterYourMix.com website, where he has helped teach thousands of aspiring studio engineers how to create pro-level recordings and mixes from their home studios. In our interview today, We discuss his transition from being a working drummer to establishing himself as a much-sought-after recording engineer and coach. We talk about the value of seeking out any opportunities and experiences to learn about our interests, but also why it's important to develop a plan to ensure our skills are focused to help achieve our goals and commit to completing our projects, which are too often abandoned because we lack the confidence we require to see things through. Let's get started. So Mike, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today, you have established a successful career as a recording mixing and mastering engineer, in addition to also running the acclaimed master your mix online academy, where you get the opportunity to coach many students of all levels to help them build both their skills and their confidence. Before that, you were a working drummer who recorded and toured with the punk influence bands Falls and Cheap Suits. So to begin, where did your interest in music start, and what attracted you to the drums specifically in the first place?
1: Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's definitely awesome to be on here. And yeah, I mean, as far as uh, my history and getting started with with music and drumming in particular, it's kind of funny. I actually got into drumming sort of out of competition. I had a uh, a friend of mine who, I mean, we were like in elementary school, I think it was grade five. And he he played drums and he had joined a band with some older guys. And I remember they played our, our school talent show. And uh, after the talent show was over, all of the girls in our class were like swooning all over him. And me being jealous and going through puberty just was like i gotta i I gotta show this guy up like screw him like whatever so i got into drumming kind of out of competition just to like mess with him a little bit and uh very quickly fell in love with it and uh so yeah that was that was really it like for me it was just like i got into got into it from competition and then just from there it just became this thing i loved like i just i don't know if it was like getting a, a, aggression or something like that, but just playing drums was a lot of fun, making a lot of noise. And then when I eventually got into playing with bands, that's when it like really kind of clicked for me that like, wait a minute, this isn't just like a hobby. This isn't just something that like I do for fun. Like I can actually make a career out of this and, um, you know, pursue this and, and be around other people that just love this as much as I do. And, and, um, uh, you know, just try to make a, career out of it, you know? Um, and that kind of led me to a whole lot of different places, but um, but yeah, I mean, t- to answer your question, that was, that was the real impetus of why I got into drumming in the first place. Well, a-
0: everyone has a story and some of them are similar and some of them can-, can be completely different. For me, I became a drummer because we had to choose an instrument in grade seven. And I had no confidence in myself to be able to do anything successfully with regards to playing a musical instrument. So I I really wanted to be a percussionist because I figured as, as a percussionist, I can blend in with the rest of the section. And I remember, I believe it was in grade eight. The, we had a new music teacher and he had decided that we had too many percussionists, so they had to cut the crew down a little bit and it came down between me and one other guy. And he made us do a drum roll and whoever had the best drum roll got to stay as a percussionist. <laughs> and he, the other guy was a much better drummer than I was, but I was so diligent in my practicing that I was able to actually pull off the technical aspect of a drum roll. So I managed to go through and carry on from there. It was never really my intention to carry it on much further than that. But since then I've established, you know, a 35 plus year professional career dabbling in many different things. We all take different paths and it's sort of interesting to sometimes look back at where you came from and see where you ended up because it wasn't always the expected path. Now, in the bands, one of the things that often is a bit of a learning curve is collaboration and working with others. Sometimes you can get a bunch of like-minded individuals that all have the same vision, but yet there's also those challenges in terms of how to work together to achieve that. What are some of the biggest lessons that you learned in your experiences when you were working in band situations?
1: You're right. It like, definitely can be a challenge to find the right people to, to be in a band with. You know, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of talented musicians out there. And just because you have talent doesn't mean you should all play in a band together. Like, I think you really do need to uh, find people that have great, like a good personality match, that have the same openness to trying new things and, and willingness to like uh, experiment. And, and honestly, just having like, I think very early on, it's important for people when they're starting a band to just have a conversation about what is your actual goal for this? Like, what, is, what does this band mean if, like, we start to play shows? Like, is that is that what we want to do? Do we want to release new music? Do we want to get on the radio? Do we want to get signed? Like, have those kind of conversations. I think all of that sounds like, you know, you have those conversations, and everyone's gonna be like, yeah, of course, it'd be great to have that. But it's like, how much are you willing to actually work for this? Because, like, that's a big thing because if you have people in the band that aren't on the same page about that stuff, it's gonna break that band very, very quickly. Um and I was fortunate that like my my very first band was like the first I joined a band with some older guys that were very driven and already had a little bit of experience in that. So like for me being in a band, seeing those guys doing it, I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is this is how a band works. It's not just like playing in the basement and you know, maybe playing at the rec center every now and then playing a gig. You know, it was like, oh, we can actually like pursue this and we make our destiny with this by working hard at it um so i learned that very early on from being in a group like that and then i was fortunate that i moved on to a couple other bands that had that and i also had some bands along the way that didn't have that mentality and those bands were very short-lived and you know I, i think the biggest thing is just really establishing what you want it to be and when you when you figure that out then you're like okay well we don't take things so serious here. We don't have to worry about it. You don't have like someone who's like pulling the strings of the band and trying to make it go in one direction versus another, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I think just being really open with your communication and just everyone getting on the same page is, is, is key.
0: From your experience working with the bands that led you into audio production, which is what you have established yourself now as your professional career. You have stated previously that one of the things that inspired you to begin exploring audio production was your frustration in bands about not being able to remember the material that you wrote (laughs) in your rehearsals, because you'd come up with some ideas, you would go home, you come back to the next rehearsal, and you couldn't remember those ideas. So from there, what were some of your first experiences? experimenting with audio recording
1: yeah that's a good question I mean you're, you're absolutely right like I was really tired of spending so much time at our practices workshopping songs and then forgetting it all when we got back together so for me I, I kind of figured as the drummer who was like the person who wasn't necessarily coming to the band with our songs I needed to like provide my value to the band and like earn my earn my percentage of whatever pay we got uh so that's why i got into like recording and i you know i was always really interested in that as well um but yeah as far as like getting started with it it was kind of honestly at first i didn't know what i was doing at all i was just blindly buying gear you know i remember looking up like what are what audio inter like how do i connect audio to my computer and i bought this like m audio delta delta something card that like only took quarter inch inputs, and it was like the furthest thing from an audio interface. But it got me sound into my computer, and then like I downloaded some free program that I found. I, I don't know, maybe it was like Cool Edit Pro. I think was my first DAW, and it was just a matter of like seeing if I can get audio into the computer at that point. And then once I figured that out, then it was like, okay, cool. Well, now what? Like, how do like I know that this is how the pros do it? They record into a computer, and then they do something after the fact. So it was really just a lot of like experimenting to figure it out, and. um just asking whoever i could find that would give me any advice you know i subscribed to all the recording magazines and all that stuff back in the day there wasn't youtube as as well i guess youtube would have kicked in at some point but um you know i was more like the the books and magazine kind of guy so you know just reading a lot of things there and just experimenting with whatever i read in those magazines and trying ideas out that other engineers had talked about um and then Really, for me, the first test, it was funny. Before I even started working with my own band, the, fir- the very first test was like I found some friends that uh, had a band and they had a bunch of songs. And I was like, you know what? Like, let me record you guys. And I don't know what I'm doing. So just bear with me. But, uh, you know, how about I'll record you guys? I'll record a whole album in exchange for. I think it was like an SM fifty-seven or something like that. You know, like just a whole album for a fifty-seven to me just boggles my mind. Now, when I look back at it now, but but uh, but it was just like I didn't care. I was just trying to get some experience and you know build up the studio uh, equipment list of, with whatever people would be willing to give me, and and that was it. It was just like I'll record bands for in exchange for gear, and that was that was the original thing. And and then from there, it just kind of I would experiment, see what see where that got me, and. Then I'd buy some more more equipment and it just kind of grew from there. Like I started with that crappy interface and then eventually upgraded to like a, it was this Roland, I think it was a Roland VS 2400, which was like a digital recorder. So that was like the first time that I had like built in effects and a whole bunch of stuff. And like, I actually felt like a pro setup. I knew someone that had. That had been running a commercial studio that had a Roland in it. And I was like, yeah, that's what pros use. So I used that. And like, then I got into Pro Tools. It just kind of like snowballed from there. But um, yeah, I mean, that's a long-winded way of answering your question, like how I got started with it. But
0: I've done a lot of studio work as a drummer over the years. And then at the beginning of the pandemic, Uh, a lot of the studios and things shut down and so that was kind of the the beginning of a lot of people to kind of really start learning this process in terms of being able to record from home so for me i bought a two input audio interface i plugged it into my mac computer and i was using garage band which i had no idea how to use but i watched a couple of tutorial videos and then i had a friend of mine who is a renowned recording engineer who contacted me and said, the pandemic has essentially shut the studio down. And now I have time to work on some of my own projects, but I need drums on a track. Can you record drums from home? And I said, well, I can, but I have two microphones and zero knowledge in terms of how to make this actually work, but I'm willing to try. And in the end, it was a great learning experience. Just being able to get the sound from the room into the computer and realize that it actually didn't sound too bad. And then I sent it off to my friend and she ended up using it and the track got released, but it can be a little overwhelming. After this, you ended up taking the audio recording program at FanShock. And through that experience, what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned from a formal situation like that.
1: Yeah, so I did eventually go to Fanshawe and I was really lucky to go there at a time when they had some amazing engineers as the professors. Um, one of our profs there was a guy named Jack Richardson, who he, uh, very famous Canadian producer, discovered the Guess Who and worked with like Alice Cooper and Bob Seger and all those guys. And so Jack was like a really uh, great resource for learning about production. And and uh, he I, I kind of went into like, when I first heard about him, I I kind of expected that he would focus a lot more on the engineering side. And he was very much like, that wasn't his role. His role was like, let's focus on the songs. And, uh, and that's, I learned a lot from him. In fact, I remember like the very first time I like, I think it was maybe like our first week of school or something like that. Or I I don't even know what it was, but I I finally got the nerve to ask him if he would listen to one of my mixes. And, uh, and he was just like, yeah, I'll listen to it. But like, who cares about the mix if the song sucks? And I was like, Oh, that's, yeah, I guess that's a good good lesson. Nobody cares. Right? <laughs> so um yeah, I mean, I was lucky to to learn a lot from Jack as as it relates to songwriting um and uh, arrangements. And um there was a couple other engineers there. There was a guy named Kevin Doyle who was a Juno Award winner and Grammy Award winner, I believe. And he he worked with like um Atlanta Miles. That was like his his big thing, and he, he did a bunch of other big projects in the 80s. Um, but he taught me a lot about production and a lot about um, just, you know, getting the right sources, get, getting the, the right sound at the source. And uh, also in the mixing stage of things, just like focusing on dynamics and focusing on um, ambience and, and depth and all that kind of stuff. And he taught me a lot about that stuff. So, um, yeah, that was like it was a great program in the sense that there was a lot of different people there that I learned a lot of little things from. There's another guy there, who uh, Terry McManus, who was, an, was a great um like he, he taught our business classes and he taught me a lot. Um, I love that guy. Unfortunately, he he died this year, but uh, he uh, he just taught me a lot about dealing with the industry and like how to how to negotiate contracts and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it, it was a really great program. I know the program has changed a lot since I was there. Um, they're maybe I think they're more focused on live sound stuff these days. But um, yeah, I mean, for anyone who's looking at like anyone who is actually considering going to audio college, like I would highly recommend it.
0: So, after graduating from that program, what were some of the first work experiences that you sought out, and what opportunities came your way?
1: I kind of took on everything I could find at that point. Um, I, I got lucky. I got a uh, an internship at a studio in Hamilton. Um, it was a place called uh, Mastermind Studio. It was a small little studio up on the mountain, and. Uh, there was multiple engineers there and the way it was kind of a unique studio in the sense that they a lot of studios the way they work is like you have one engineer per project and this place here was kind of more like you had a shift and whatever band was in the studio that day you took on those bands. And so like, sometimes you'd work on like just the drums of a project or just the guitars or whatever. And it was, it was kind of interesting. Cause you learned, you learned a lot and you learned just to like quickly adapt to projects. Um, and I was one of the only people there that actually knew how to record drums at the time. So very quickly I took on all the drum projects. Um, so yeah, that was kind of one of my first starts and uh, that got me into doing a lot more like rock and metal stuff. Um, I also ended up working at an audio post production facility for a number of years where I was working on like editing for film and TV, adding sound effects. Uh, We were mixing audio, uh, like music and dialogues and sound effects to to film. Um, So that was a really cool experience. It was a very different way of working than the typical like working on music production Uh, because, you know, it it was just a different way, like syncing video. To to audio that kind of thing, Um, so I did that for a couple of years. I was tour managing and doing live sound. I worked at a uh, a CD manufacturing plant. I really took on like everything I could find, just to like dip my toes in a little bit of the industry to see, you know, what what there was out there and what I enjoyed doing. And it just always kept coming back to music, like like just working in the studio. It was the thing that excited me the most, Um, and you know throughout all of that i was still very much pursuing my bands as like a as a full time thing um and so you know i was fortunate that a couple of my bands like we like with cheap suits we had a major label distribution deal so we were touring as much as possible um same with falls like we we were just trying to play as much as possible and produce all the stuff so we were like really taking those bands really serious but just in between playing shows or touring or just when the bands broke up eventually it was like it was always how do I get back in the studio? What can I do to to keep busy there and work with other people and um, just collaborate with other musicians, I guess. Really, that that's what it came down to.
0: Well, one of the things about that sort of path in terms of developing experience is that you really get to dabble in many different avenues and learn many different people's styles. When you look back sometimes at a formal education, Depending on where you go and depending on who the teachers are, it can often be very much formulaic curriculums where you know the book tells you to do things this way. So they teach you how to do things that way. And then you learn a traditional skill set, but then when you go out to a work situation, one of the first things that you learn is that everything that you learned is wrong, <laughs> totally. <laughs> and and you have to adapt. and and a lot of people can't adapt comfortably because they're so tied into the, the formal tradition. Uh, for me, I used to teach at a college and I, I taught like Photoshop and, and photo editing. And one of the things that I often found is that sometimes in those situations, you're given a picture to edit. And you're giving the instructions and what you need to do in order to create, take the before picture and turn it into the after picture. And if you type in all of the numbers and you do everything that the book tells you to do, you can get a great result. That's good for building confidence and for developing skills. But you have to apply them and be able to take that and adapt to different situations. One of the challenges that a lot of the students that I found would have is suddenly when I present them with a different picture, they had the same skills, but they didn't have the confidence to then play around with the settings in order Mm -hmm. to kind of build and to learn how to make things work. Because many times you need to be given a formula, but not every project you're going to do follows that formula. You and I have talked before about there is value sometimes in some of the software in terms of having presets, because it's a great way to really add some effects and really get some unique results. But if you don't know what those effects are actually doing, then the preset that you applied, which is no longer giving you the result that you need, can often take away from your vision. And you need to learn how the fundamentals are so that you can make adjustments for that. So being able to and willing to adjust and be open to those experiences,
1: I think is a really important skill set that not everybody has. Totally. I mean, you definitely have to, like, I think in the case of like, and you were talking about Photoshop or whether it's music, it's like, you have to understand the intention behind what you're doing. You know, like adding a preset that might help, You know, you might open up a a preset on your drums and maybe there's a a snare preset and you look at it and it's like, okay, cool. Maybe it made my drum sound different. But like, what is that preset actually trying to accomplish? That's what you have to figure out. And you're not going to know that unless you actually take the time to learn the tool properly and to understand the mindset behind why you're making those decisions. Um, And it's like one example that I've, I've mentioned it on a couple podcasts before, but I remember like one of my very first days of working at a studio, the head engineer of the place Uh, you know, he, he was like, oh, you know, what's your background? And I told him I went to school and he was like, cool, forget everything you learned. This is the real world. And, and like that day I saw him like, you know, as an example, like the, uh, you know, an audio usually set up your microphone so that you get a a good amount of gain, but you don't want to be distorting the microphone. That's a pretty, pretty standard thing that most people will tell you when you're setting up your microphone. That session, I watched the guy just distort the crap out of a microphone and i was like what are you doing like i'm i always been told i'm not supposed to do that he's like yeah does it sound good it is good you know like that that was it right it's like understanding the intention behind it and like when you know the tool so well that you can manipulate it to do what you want it to do that's ultimately the goal um you know whether it's the quote unquote right way to do it or um whether it's a kind of an outside of the box kind of way of doing it right
0: when when i was in college back in the early 90s I was a performance major, a jazz performance major, and and one of the courses that I took, I believe, in my third year was uh, an audio recording course. But the instructor who had the school had also ran a, a full time school, and I got called with a couple of friends of mine to go in and to kind of be the guinea pigs, musicians for one of their projects. And I remember going in to the to the studio, and there was a a woman there, she wanted to record a, a, a song for her mom. So she hired us, we went in, learned the song. And I remember bringing my drum set in and set everything up. And I had a, my my front bass drum skin didn't have a hole in it because I I just liked that sound at the time. And I remember watching some of the students standing around my drum set with a microphone telling me well we're going to cut a hole in your bass drum and i said well no you're you're not actually going to do that you can replace my bass drum skin with one that's lying around but i'm not going to let you just cut a hole well <laughs> we have to record that way I said no you you actually don't there's just many different ways to go through and do that and i remember finding it interesting that people were so stuck and everything had to be one specific way that they weren't willing to make that adjustment and i found that to be a learning experience too because because it comes down to you learn the way to do things but you do have to adapt to the different situations
1: of course and you know i guess in those kind of in that kind of situation there with recording a kick drum i run into that all the time where there's a drummer who doesn't have the hole in the kick and and i think it's more a matter of like well what kind of sound are we trying to achieve here? Right, I'm not saying you were right or wrong to, to to take your stance on that, but if if the state if the objective of the session was to like have drums that sound really punchy and have like a lot of beater sound or something like that, then yeah, you probably you're going to get that result by putting a microphone inside of the kick drum. Uh, otherwise, you know, it's going to maybe sound a little bit rounder. So you you but you just have to understand like there's two different ways of approaching recording drums, right? And. I think it's what you're saying there is like, you know, there isn't just one way to do it. If, if all those people ever learned was stick a mic inside a drum and you're you're good, then yeah, that's, that works for a certain sound. And, and likewise, you know, if you were working on like a, you know, if you, if that session was like a jazz session or something like that, having the mic on the outside of the kick would have actually been a much better choice probably, you know? So um, you just, you have to apply lots of different uh, skill sets and you have to just understand the different uh, mindsets behind why wh- what you're doing and what that result ends up being, right? And then from there, you can make those decisions to get yeah. the best sound. And, and for
0: me, as a session musician, um, I pride myself on my ability generally to adapt to different situations. And that one, my my observation was more just they couldn't see beyond the one way that they learned totally. how to do yeah. things. Of course. So, you know, and, and and so it's always just interesting because there's always different approaches and like different types of styles and, and different music as well. Of
1: course. And like as another example to, to go along with that, like I remember in audio college, they kind of taught us like condenser microphones should never be used on drums as close mics because like they'll break. And then again, like one of my first sessions I ever saw, the very first thing we did was put a condenser microphone on a kick drum. And I was like, oh this is the wrong thing, so I've been taught, but it actually sounds really good. So I guess I could forget what I learned in school, right? So you just have to learn, again, just adapt with it and see what see what the result is. I, I remember when I was taking my
0: recording classes in college and they were talking about different types of microphones and one of the students had a question about you know, your PZM microphones, which are generally, your microphones that often sit on the floor on a theater mm-hmm. in order to sort of capture the whole theater sort of stage sound for choirs and different sort of situations and they had said can you record drums with that so they ended you know and they said well you you just you try and see what it sounds like so it's all about the experimentation but I remember that session because they basically took it and they tied it around my neck kind of like a necklace (laughs) and it's quite heavy so I felt like I was going to fall over and we've recorded it that way and it had an interesting sound to them but it's all about being open to trying different things. And that can sometimes give you different results. Sometimes the things that you have no faith on end up becoming the perfect solution.
1: Totally. Like sometimes you just have to think outside of the box. It's funny. I was actually, uh, today I saw a video. um, There's an engineer, Sylvia Massey. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she's like the most creative person I know when it comes to the studio. And the video I saw was her recording guitars, they they had the guitars basically connected through hot dogs, like literal hot dogs, and like amplifying the signal that was going through that. And like, it was about how that affects the tone. Like, who thinks about that? so Well, Sylvia does, but but like that is just like for a lot of people, you would be you, if someone said like, oh, I'm going to bring hot dogs to the session because we're going to record with them, you'd be like, what the hell are you talking about but like you know she knows what she's doing she knows that it's gonna work out one way or another but she's gonna try it out and get a cool sound of it or or create an experience and
0: one thing about sylvia is that she's open to trying anything just to see what Mm. the result is her her book is which i know that you have read is quite fascinating and it's basically a collection of different people have had these different sort of experiences and the pros and cons of all of the results that they tried by trying some of the weirdest situations and and that's half the fun is the is the experimentation element totally. of audio recording so after doing all that you began to kind of put your own studio together and you also started to develop the master your mic online academy where you posted tutorials and different lessons which you also turned into a coaching school where you've had a chance to go through and coach thousands of different people in these scenarios which is actually where we met what was it that brought you to that point where you wanted to kind of not only work on a situation where you can get recording, engineering, and mastering work, but also really give back to the community and help people learn more about their skills?
1: Yeah, I think uh, it was a combination of a few different things. One was that um, I knew a lot of people around that time who were like the home studio market was becoming more and more affordable. And I knew a lot of people that were great songwriters, writing amazing songs and trying to record it themselves, getting crappy results and getting frustrated and then just abandoning their music. And I always kind of thought that was a shame, you know, like, and selfishly, I wanted to hear these songs too. So, you know, I wanted to, what can I do to help these people? The other thing too, was that, I always felt like anytime I worked with a band in the studio, there was always someone in the band looking over my shoulder and saying, "What are you doing there? How are you doing that? Why are you doing that?" and asking all these questions about the process. And I loved having those conversations. Like I used to work at a music store back in the day. Like I loved nerding out about gear talk and like you know why why humbucker is different than a single coil pickup or you know all that kind of stuff or why you know brass snare sounds different than a maple snare or whatever. And I always loved nerding out about those kind of things. So it was always in the back of my mind, like how do I help these people out and and and, um utilize my recording skills to kind of help both of these crowds, like the songwriters and the, the people who are just genuinely curious in this stuff. And I had a roommate at the time who he had run a pretty successful online guitar instructional course, uh, course site. And he kind of said to me, He's like, Hey Mike, like, you know, why don't you like we were just having a conversation and he, he said, Why don't you start up a website where you're talking about this stuff and like just see where it goes? Like maybe you can have fun you know, having more conversations like this. And that's exactly where it started. It was just originally, like, I honestly didn't know where it was going to go. Originally, MasterYourMix.com started as as an online mastering site uh, where, like, people could upload tracks and send them to me. But then I started writing blog articles. And then that kind of started to get more attention. And then it just, then, like, as time went on, I realized, like, there were more people hitting up that website for advice on how to record and so i just had to lean into that and that's that's kind of where it started from really um and it's just grown into like a, a much much bigger site than i ever imagined it would be um but it's been very rewarding to actually like help people out see people making amazing music and hearing their productions improve and um you know like like you said like you and i met through that site and you know you came to me with uh wanting to improve your your drum mixes and and you made incredible progress, so it's like seeing that. It's so rewarding to me to to hear just the the amount of progress people make, and I know that it it motivates people to keep going. And I just think that there's, I really do think that there's so much positive impact that can be made from music, but it just has to be put it just has to be put out in the wild and put in the put in the world for people to hear. And it's a shame to me when people keep their music to themselves themselves because. Who knows how that music could influence somebody or inspire somebody. And uh, so, yeah, that's like, you know, to hear so many people putting up music and having me help them throughout that process, it's just been super rewarding for sure.
0: For me, one of the things that I wanted to do in terms of setting up a studio at home is because I, I do some work as a, as a session musician, the act of recording myself and listening back to myself is a great way to humble yourself in terms of putting yourself under that microscope <laughs> but if you're open to that experience it it also allows you to learn and get better so i I really really started this out as a as a learning tool to make myself a better musician and from there I ended up being able to start getting some work doing remote tracks for people. And I've done things from, you know, jazz elements to weird film score things to like metal songs to pop tunes. And I love the variety of the different things that I've been able to do. So once I kind of got over my initial intimidation of trying to begin the process of learning these things. Everyone's advice is always go on to YouTube. There's tons of videos on YouTube. You know, There's great free tutorials and stuff there. And there are some fantastic tutorials. The issue that I have that I believe that many people struggle with is not the access to information, it's the direction that they need in order to follow the right path to learn the skill sets. And that was one of the things that I found with you is that when I originally reached out to you, I was really intimidated about this program. I, I kept thinking, I don't have the knowledge or the skills to go through and do this. And I originally, through through many conversations, I had originally decided to not participate in, in this program. That's right. But I remember that. <laughs> um, my wife said to me, no you should do it because one of the things that you really want to do is to build these skills and so because i invested both my time and my money and i committed to the the 30-day program i now had you as a coach that not you know unlike other online ones where they give you access to videos through conversations you made a plan for me you customized a plan you told me where to begin And using projects that I was working on myself, you weren't limited to following a generic formula for Uh, like for a tutorial. You actually got to apply these skills to something that was a real world application. And by making that commitment through you and by you being open to what my vision was, I made unbelievable progress in 30 days versus the very limited progress that I had made up to the two years up to that point. So I think it's really important when people want to do anything that you you look at what you want to achieve and be willing to invest both your time and your money to reach out to a coach who can make a plan for you rather than just trying to access things on YouTube. I find now YouTube is a great reference. When I need that one little solution, I can go and I can find those solutions. But when you're just going onto YouTube and looking at random things, you learn a whole bunch of skills that are not, entwined into the path that you actually want to follow. Of course.
1: Yeah. hundred percent.
0: The other thing I also found fantastic about my experience working with you is you would submit a project and you would send back really extensive video feedback using the projects that we would submit. And what that did is not only build your skill set, but it also built your confidence because sometimes you look at the things and you think these are the things that I can't do. You're looking at all the things you have not been able to achieve, but the feedback and the way that you approach things makes you feel that you really have to value the things that you have achieved and that excites you and pushes you to get to that next level. So my experience with you was an amazing experience and something that I really recommend to anyone that's looking to develop the skill set, whether it be through you or just reach out to someone that can coach you and not just rely upon tutorials on your own time, because you really need that feedback and you need someone to hold you accountable for this.
1: Well, first off, I'm so glad that you, that you made that progress and, and that you enjoyed the program. Uh, you know, that, that, that is the goal. It's like, I, my goal is to work with people who I can who truly believe I can help. You know, and when people reach out to me for coaching, if if I don't think I can help them, I'll I'll say no. You know, it's not about it's not about the money for me. It's like, you know, it's it it really is like, how can I make an impact with this? And I can only do that when I can help people that I can truly help, you know. Um, And I do think that you're absolutely right. Like YouTube is this very valuable resource. There's tons of great videos on there. And there's, you know, you, you probably can find all the information that you need. But it's a matter of like creating a system for it, you know, and being able to organize all that content. That That's the thing that YouTube is missing in a lot of ways is giving you a structure to follow. But not only that, you know, let's say let's say all your all your YouTube content was organized. That would basically be the same thing as like it's the equivalent of doing like a typical online course where you log in, there's a whole bunch of videos and it's self-paced and you just, you know, you hope for the best that like all this information is actually going to work. But I think that there is some there is a lot of value in hiring a coach because it takes it one step further. It's not just, hey, learn this thing on your own. And if you get stuck, sorry, you have no help. You know, having a coach actually allows you to like work, work with people and troubleshoot and um, help them identify things of uh, things in someone's process that maybe they don't realize they're doing or that they're not doing. And um, it just opens up a lot more lines of conversation to to help someone truly improve. And that's that's why you have a coach. You know, it's like all the best athletes in the world have a coach that that coach might not even be as good of an athlete as those athletes, you know, but it's because they have someone who can actually like that. That coach's role is to Look at the process and analyze it for someone and be able to you know help them refine it to to the point where they they get better and better. And uh, you know, my job as a coach is to do that exactly. It's just like help people out. and everyone's got their own goal of what they want to achieve with the stuff. So, you know, I wanna help people to achieve those goals and figure out that pathway to to help them do it. Um so yeah, I mean having you as a student was great because you were, you were a perfect example of someone who came in knowing what you wanted to do. And uh, you know, we we workshopped through your tracks and and had lots of conversations along the way to figure out what we needed to do to get it to where it needed to be. And and I I think we got there. It sounds sounds like you agree.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I found it to be a fantastic experience and Um, by far worth the investment now in addition to your online school you also wrote the um the mixing mindset book which has become a number one amazon bestseller which much like your philosophy with the max master your mix academy is a guide to teach people the fundamentals in terms of getting not only better mixes but also developing a plan and a process of which to approach your mixes. So what inspired you to write the book? And what is some of the feedback that you have gotten from people from the book?
1: Yeah, I mean, as far as the book went, honestly, I I didn't intend to write a book, to be perfectly honest. I literally was just sitting on a train ride one day and was bored and just started writing. I had no idea what I was writing, but it just started coming out of me like, maybe I should document my process a little bit, that kind of thing. And uh, that was honestly how the book started. And the funny thing about teaching this stuff to people is that it, I find that it actually makes me a better engineer because the more I have to analyze my own process, the more I refine it and optimize it. And so when I started actually just writing the process through and actually giving everything thought, um... I started to, I started to get better and better with my own process and refining that. And I was like, Hey, cool. I, I'm going to write this out so that people have a resource for this so that they don't have to troubleshoot and go through the same thing that I'm going through. You know, if you make it very clear for people, then there's a, it's, there's a simple path for people to follow. And, and, you know, it really takes out that guesswork. Um, so, so yeah, it, it kind of just eventually like got to a point where I was like, I think I have a book here and, uh, I, I I was talking with another friend who was who had written some books himself and he kind of pointed me in the direction of like how to do it and that was it like it's, it's it's you know it just took a little bit of a nudge to to get me going and then I was like okay let's try this out and I had no intentions of I had no idea of like where it was going to go you know I thought I'd sell like 3 copies of the book and then, and since then it's just blown up so um you know it's been great because I've I I get Messages from people all the time saying, "Oh, like this book helped me a lot. It gave me, a, a, you know, I now know what to do. That kind of thing. Um, I've seen big improvements, all that kind of stuff. So it's it's like, again, it's really rewarding, and that's that's why I do this. It's just like, how do I how do I make more impact? Right? <laughs> how do I how do I make people happy through music and and just really, um, you know, get more music out there in the world? I, I truly, I, I know I've said it a couple times on this, but like that's the thing that really does motivate me is like getting more music out in the world here." I have a friend that years
0: ago, we had gone on to a, into a studio to record an album and it would turn out to be quite a positive experience and we got some great results, but it cost a lot of money. And, what, and in the end, he kind of said, well, rather than doing that again, I'm going to go and I'm just going to spend the same money next time and build my own studio that was his intention he worked really hard to originally get things up and running but when he looks back at that situation it got to be about 20 years later and he still never got around to doing this again because we had recorded some projects and then he would get better at the skills and then he would abandon that and go back to other sort of things as well so it all comes down to there's too much music out there that people are trying to do on their own that often never ends up seeing the light of day. So I think it's important that you reach out to people that can motivate you, inspire you, hold you accountable, and to try and get that stuff out there now. With the cost of audio gear and the quality of digital audio software going up and with the cost of the gear going down, it's much more accessible for almost anyone now to start to get into these sorts of things. Now, when students reach out to you, from your experience, what do you find are some of the biggest common challenges that they often have when they first show up?
1: It's a good question. It really does range. I would say that the biggest thing is that people get ahead of themselves. And by that, I mean um, often people will focus more on improving their mixing skills rather than focusing on their recording skills, as an example. And I really do think that to get really great productions, it requires a specific order. You have to focus on getting the right recordings. You then have to edit it and make everything sound tight in the editing stage. And then that makes the mixing stage really easy. And if you follow that pathway and you focus on the right areas at all three of those steps, you're gonna get a good result. But what happens with a lot of people is they will just quickly throw up a microphone on the recording stage, get some sort of sound into their computer, and then think that they can fix it in the mix. and the reality is that sometimes you just can't do that. There's only so much you can polish it. And you would have been much better off having spent an extra couple of minutes like working on a better mic position or um, you know, tuning, tuning your drum kit better, um, that kind of thing. Because you can't fix a lot of that stuff once it's done or once it's recorded. So um, that to me is the biggest thing is just like, I think people, Mixing is this like really attractive thing where you get to play with plugins and you know, you get the software and, and you, for a lot of people, like it's a, it's a solitary thing. You can just do it on your own. You don't need to be around other people and some people like that. And so it's really easy to get just wrapped up in it and, you know, enjoy that process. I'm not saying mixing isn't fun, but it's like, it, it is fun, but you, you can't discount the earlier steps that, you know, really contribute to the whole process overall Um, you know, it's like, it's like learning how to walk before you run, you know, you have, you just have to, or or crawl before you walk or whatever. Right. It's like, you have to, you have to kind of take that linear process to, to get to where you want to be.
0: And that's one of the things that you outline in your book. The beginning stages of successful mixing is the editing aspect. First, you have to label and organize your tracks. Then you have to go and you got to edit out the little clicks and the little pops and the different things that you don't want to deal with later. And you got to get everything set. And then you want to get to the point before you add any effects or do anything else that you get a good balance of things. And then once you get that balance, natural with those raw tracks, then you can start experimenting. The issue that sometimes people will have, and I know I've run into this because I'm a drummer. So I'm usually mixing tracks that I'm going to send to someone else is spending the most time on the things that's the most important to you and not always looking at the big picture. So it's always important that when you make a tweak, you're not just making a tweak for that individual track, but rather making a tweak that blends in with that whole thing. Cause one adjustment on one track is going to affect those frequencies on something totally. else. And that can, that can take a bit of discipline and di- a bit of uh, practice to kind of start looking at mixing things as a, as a big totally, picture. Yeah.
1: I think you have to, um, you definitely have to look at other songs out there to act as inspiration for your mixing decisions sometimes, right? Like I think one of like one of the really common things I see with people is that they tend to mix their own instrument loudest in a mix, uh, unless it's a singer. Singers always like to bury their vocals because they're like they don't like their voice. That, that's like a very common thing. Um, but you just have to be aware of like what does that mean for all the other elements in the mix if you If you're a guitar player and you crank up your guitar, you're going to be fighting the clarity of the vocal. So you have to be looking at how that, that adjustment affects the rest of the track. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that, that's just another example of something I commonly see, but you're absolutely right. like You, you always have to be looking at that big picture and, and really focusing on the difference that every little move makes. Are there any
0: projects or plans that you have coming up that you're excited about? looking forward to accomplishing this year
1: yeah i'm working with a uh, am working with an artist out of hamilton right now his name is adam inrig and i don't know if he has a i don't know if they've got a band name or if it's, it's like kind of his solo project right now but uh it's a really cool really cool project where he's kind of going for this like van halen-y kind of sound it's like this like very like van halen rock uh Inspired kind of sound. It's a lot of fun. It's it's like pretty different than a lot of the stuff that I usually do myself. I, I tend to do a lot of like punk and metal stuff, and I guess Van Halen, you know, '80s metal, or whatever. But um, but it's cool to kind of have like a little bit of a throwback kind of element to it, and and uh, you know, maybe chase some sounds that they would have done back in the day. Like the other day, I was working on his drum tracks, and there was one song that was like it was like Def Leppard, and I was like, okay, cool. How do we how do we make the drum sound like Def Leppard? It's like okay, let's add some like gated reverbs and then let's add some floor tom hits on the snare just to like add these weird layers and you know get some electronic simmons drum sounds and sample those so it's, it's been a lot of fun to just piece that project together um so i'm definitely excited for when that gets released i have no idea when we still have a couple more tracks to to mix but um yeah that's definitely something i'm excited for and uh, I know you're a Hamilton guy, so it's it's, mm-hmm. it's he's a local guy, so I'm sure you'll hear it. Um, so yeah, that that's definitely something that I'm really excited about. Um, and there's also this other band that I've been working with out of Austria called Deeper You, and they're like a they're like a metal band, like gothy kind of metal band. It's almost like if Depeche Mode was a heavier, like more modern modern metal band. Like that, that's what they sound like. Um, so we've they've re- started releasing a couple singles on on that record, and and uh, Really excited for people to, to pay attention to those guys because it, it's awesome stuff i really enjoy it for people that are interested in connecting
0: with you or learning more about the services whether it be audio recording mixing mastering or your coaching services what's the best way to connect with you
1: yeah, so there's a few different ways. Um, if you're interested in potentially working with me as like an engineer and having me mix or master your projects, um, I would definitely go to my production page, which is mikeindovina.com. Uh, last name is spelled I-N-D-O-V-I-N-A. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I've got some examples of my work on there. And if you you know if you've got a record that you want some help with, uh, you can contact me on the contact form there. Um, but if you're someone who's looking to work on your own recordings and mixes and you need some help with that then definitely check out Uh that's definitely the w- website where I've got tons of videos tons of resources uh, to, to really help people with creating pro recordings from their home studios and that's where you'll find courses and um, if you're looking for for coaching, um, that's also an option on there as well. Um, there is the Mastery Mix podcast, which is another resource I put together where I interview a lot of the top engineers out there and uh, learn more about their process. So that's another great resource for people who are looking to get some insight into what goes into some pro records and um, maybe even learn from specific other engineers as well. So um, yeah, definitely check those resources out. And uh, yeah, you can hit me up on Facebook or Instagram, all that kind of stuff as well. Uh, I should just be on there as Mike and Davina. I think actually Instagram is M and Davina, but yeah, hit me up there. I'm always open to chatting with people and and helping people make more music.
0: Your podcast, by the way, is fantastic. I I believe, I think I'm about 88 episodes into it right now. And I love just hearing the stories about some of these legendary producers and engineers and even ones that I'm not familiar with because... Everyone's story has value and just being open to sharing those experiences is really what can help to inspire us to follow the different paths and really become the musicians or the people that we kind of strive to be and to help us reach our goals. So Totally. It's always a pleasure to connect with you. I really appreciate you being on the podcast today. I will definitely be in touch with you again at some point to follow up with some more coaching services. I'm still applying the skills that I've learned, but there's always new things to learn. I will definitely be reaching out to you again. So I wish you all the best and we will connect again soon. We'll talk soon. You've been listening to the Drummer's Pathway podcast. Please share and subscribe to get the word out, and let's keep the discussion going. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.